Please stand for the reading of the Gospel. We read from Mark's Gospel, chapter 8, beginning at verse 27. Jesus went away with his disciples to the villages of Caesarea Philippi. On the way, he asked his disciples, Who do people say that I am? They told him, John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others say one of the prophets. But who do you say I am? He asked them. Peter answered him, You are the Christ. Then he warned them not to tell anyone about him. Jesus began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things, be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the experts in the law, be killed, and after three days rise again. He was speaking plainly to them. Then Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But after turning around and looking at his disciples, Jesus rebuked Peter and said, Get behind me, Satan. You do not have your mind set on the things of God, but the things of men. He called the crowd and his disciples together and said to them, If anyone wants to follow me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and for the sake of the gospel will save it. This is the gospel of our Lord, we pray. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Please be seated. Your fellow redeemed friends in Christ Jesus, whose cross is the only one that saves. I know that we Lutherans kind of have a reputation for being subdued and reserved. We don't do a lot of jumping around or clapping our hands or shouting in worship. But still, I'm pretty shocked at you this morning. Not one of you tried to silence me as I was reading that gospel lesson. Now, one of you came up here and took me aside and said, Pastor, you can't be talking about those things in public. Don't you know this is being broadcast all over the Internet? There are some shocking things in here, right? Some offensive things in this lesson. Some R-rated things that might not be fit for children to hear, right? Just think of some of the shocking things. Um, after, even after Jesus had been baptized and the Father, the heavens opened, the Father spoke, and the Holy Spirit descended like a dove. After all of his miracles, the people still don't understand who he is. That's, that's pretty shocking. Then when Peter gets it right who Jesus is, Jesus tells them, don't tell anyone about me. Forbidding evangelism? That doesn't sound right. Jesus gives an R-rated depiction of what's in store in his future, that he is going to suffer and be rejected and be killed. That's pretty shocking. Then he tells his disciples that whoever wants to follow him must deny themselves, take up the cross and follow him. That's pretty shocking. And then at the end, Jesus says, if you want to save your life, you need to lose it. Is Jesus advocating for suicide here? What, what is this all about? All of these shocking things. Now, you may not have tried to silence me, but Peter definitely tried to silence Jesus, right? Why? Why did Peter want Jesus to shut up, to not talk about these things? According to Jesus, it was because Peter didn't have his mind on the things of God, but the things of men. So if we want to avoid the Peter treatment, if we don't want Jesus to look at us and call us Satan, then we better have a firm grasp of what these things of God are that Jesus is talking about. What are the things of God? Now, there is an easy answer, an answer I'm sure some of you have heard 
or read in a devotion uh, or heard in a sermon somewhere? It's an easy answer, but it's a theologically lazy answer. And that's to suggest that the things of God that, that Peter didn't want to do, didn't like to hear about, were the ones at the end. The, the denying yourself and taking up your cross and following Jesus. That Peter didn't want to hear about that. That he was fine if Jesus wanted to suffer, but he wasn't going to suffer for Jesus' sake. And that does sound kind of right. I mean, certainly, when Jesus says you must, if you want to follow me, you have to deny yourself, take up your cross and follow me, certainly those are good godly things, right? And, and like I said, you've probably heard a sermon that said, Something along those lines. That Christianity is about denying yourself, taking up your cross, and following Jesus. You know the, the themes out there. Uh, here's three-step Christianity. Here's three steps to understanding the mind of God and, and, and paralleling your mind with the mind of God. Here is your guidebook to being a Christian. And that, that sounds okay. That sounds like something good. It doesn't sound like something we should reject, for sure. Now, I'm not suggesting that these things aren't godly. They come right out of Jesus' mouth. But I I do object to to the idea that the things of God, the the things that are in the mind of God, are those things that Jesus is talking about. It can't be, right? Just follow the text. Follow the context. It was long before Jesus talked about denying yourself and taking up your cross and following him, that he turned and called Peter Satan. It can't be, it can't be what we call the life of sanctification that Peter wanted nothing to do with. In fact, Peter was, was very interested in sanctified living, in holy living, that is, living for Jesus, what we might call third article uh, Christianity, that is, the article that deals with our lives of good works and what we do for God and for others. Remember, Peter was one of the very first people to actually follow Jesus. Even when Jesus was still some no-name rabbi who was just wandering around calling people to follow him. Peter was one of the, the first ones to be called, officially called by Jesus, to be an apostle. And after that, Peter left his work. He left his job as a fisherman. He left his family behind. He left his home. And for three years, he wandered throughout Israel like a homeless person following Jesus. After the feeding of the 5,000, when many of the, the disciples were going away from Jesus because he told them that he hadn't really come only to feed their bellies, but he had come to feed their souls, and many were leaving, Peter said, we're not leaving, I'm not leaving, because You have the words of eternal life, Lord. There's nowhere else for us to go. Remember just before the Passion, when Jesus predicted that all of his apostles, his disciples, would abandon him in his moment of need, Peter said, no way, I'm not going to do that. Even if everyone else abandons you, I'm not going to. I will even die with you. Peter was very interested. His mind was focused on sanctification, on holy living, on doing what he could for Jesus and that sounds very good until you hear the rest of the story. The fact that when in the Garden of Gethsemane, that mob, that armed mob approached, and it seemed possible, potential, likely, that uh, as they came, Peter and the other disciples may not only be arrested, but would face torture or even worse. Peter didn't pick up that cross. He ran away from it. 
or when Peter had the chance to confess again who Christ was in the temple courtyard, he didn't deny himself in that case. He denied Jesus three times. Even later in his ministry, after Jesus' ascension into heaven, when, when Jesus called to Peter and said, follow me in proclaiming the gospel, not only to the Jews, but also to the Gentiles, Peter said his initial reaction was, I'm not going to do that. The Gentiles don't deserve the gospel. They don't deserve God's mercy. They don't deserve forgiveness. So as devoted as Peter was to living for God, to sanctified living, time after time after time, it blew up in his face. Peter's problem with Jesus here, the reason he wanted him to shut up, didn't have to do with sanctification, but justification. It didn't have to do with the third article of the Apostles' Creed, but rather the second article. When Jesus started talking about how he had to suffer and be rejected and die, that's what Peter didn't want to hear. That's what he didn't want to talk about. That's what he didn't want to learn. That's what he didn't want to know. He wanted to plug his ears and not hear it. How about us? Are we any different? Are we okay hearing about sanctification, but justification kind of grates on us and we want to plug our ears and we just want Jesus to be quiet about it? I'll tell you this, that's the opinion or that's the view I have of many of our kind neighbors out there as, as we've gone around, and I, I know some of you have done this too, knocking on doors and inviting them to our church and telling them about our church. Oftentimes the first question or questions is, all right, that, that's nice that you proclaim Christ. Um, but what, what can you do for me now? Do you have a, a preschool? Do you have child care? Do you have counseling services for our marriage? Or do you have seminars on how we can better raise our children? Do you, do you have any way to help me out with my finances? Uh, can, you, can you show me how to have my best, most prosperous life now? Clearly, their minds are not on the things of God. Their minds are on the things of men. Is the same true for us. What kind of sermon do you enjoy hearing? What is the kind of sermon that really sticks with you, that is memorable, that you would judge to be really relevant and practical for your life? Uh, The one where you're told a few steps to turn yourself into a real winner in this world? Or the one where you're told that by nature you are a loser and you need someone else to win salvation for you? Would you rather hear a sermon about instructions on how you can live to please God or a sermon of instruction on how only Jesus really pleased God? You see, just like the the crowds at Pentecost and the jailer at Philippi, our hearts are more turned towards the law. We our ears are more attuned to the law. In fact, Just like them, we itch to hear someone give us the answer to the question that we all cry out, even if it's not uh, recognizable to us. All of us want to know, what must I do to be saved? We, We inherently want to hear the law. We just want to hear the few steps. What do we have to do to make ourselves right with God? And, And if that's what you think Christianity is all about, about what you do, then Jesus should rightly take you aside, rebuke you, and say, get behind me, Satan, because you don't have in, things, in mind the things of God, but the things of men. Our sanctification, even though it does come from God, 
is a thing of man because it's something for us to do. It is not a thing of God. It is not something that God does. And if you believe that the heart of Christianity is what you do, then you are just as satanic as Peter was here. Now, Peter, we've been hard on Peter, right? He does deserve a little bit of credit. He got the first half of the second article of the creed, right? Didn't he? He got Jesus' identity right. He said, you are the Christ. He understood what we will confess here in just moments. Jesus was conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. He is the only begotten Son of God. He got that right. He got right the fact that Jesus was the promised Messiah, the promised Christ, the one that God had promised to send into the world to save sinners ever since the Garden of Eden. He got that right. He didn't have a problem with the first half of the second article. His problem was with the second half. That whole part about suffering under Pontius Pilate, being crucified, died, and being buried, that's the part Peter wanted nothing to do with. He didn't want Jesus to have anything to do with it either. Why didn't Jesus give Peter a little bit of credit? Why was he so harsh with him, even though he got half of it right? Why did he call him Satan? Did he really have to do that? Did he really have to call him Satan? I think he did. I think he did. Because not only did Peter not want to hear about this talk of suffering and the cross because he loved Jesus, that was probably part of it. I mean, what would you say to a friend who said, I am going to uh, do something that's going to lead to my demise, that's going to make me suffer and die? You would say, don't do that. If you love them, you would say, don't do that. But there's an even bigger reason, I think, that Peter said, and rebuked Jesus, didn't want to hear about this cross stuff. It's because he didn't think he needed it. Because he didn't think it was necessary. Because he thought he could save himself. And it doesn't get any more satanic than that. To suggest that Jesus did not need to die for your sins because you're capable of doing it yourself is a lie right from hell. Right from Satan himself. So how about you? Think back to the question I asked at the beginning of the service. Uh, If a friend were to ask you to describe Christianity, describe what it is like, what does it look like to follow Jesus, what would you say? What were you thinking at the beginning of the service? Would you start off with what you do? Would you start off with telling them, well, Christianity for me means I I faithfully attend worship. I I want to receive the sacrament as often as possible. I I read my devotions at home. We pray before meals. I I try to be the best spouse, the best mother or father, the best citizen I can possibly be. Is that how you were thinking that you would characterize or picture Christianity for a friend? Was that what came to mind first of all? Is, Is your idea of Christianity denying yourself, taking up your cross, and following Jesus? If, if it is, then you have to ask yourself, are you really able to? Have you really denied yourself? Have you really taken up your cross? Have you really followed Jesus? And by deny yourself, I don't mean deny yourself a few pleasures here and there. Uh, deny yourself an extra helping of dessert or deny yourself some other pleasure that you would like to have in this world, but, but you don't do it because it would mean sinning against your Lord. That's not what I mean. I mean, Jesus meant deny yourself. That is, your will, what you want, 
that those things don't matter anymore. That it doesn't matter what you want. It doesn't matter what you like. It doesn't matter what your goals are. All that matters is what God's will for your life is. Can you do that? Are you willing to take up the cross of suffering or persecution or being canceled by, by our current society because you are standing up for the truth? Or are there times that you keep quiet? Are there times that you tacitly, like Peter did in that courtyard, you end up denying Jesus rather than denying yourself and standing up for Jesus? Are you willing to? Can you? Have you followed the will of God in your life even when it hurts? even when it makes the people around you not like you very much, even if it may mean costing your job or time or energy or money. And I'll be honest, I, I can't. I haven't done that. Deny myself? I kind of like myself. In fact, myself is my favorite person in the world. I like to coddle myself. I don't like to deny myself. Picking up a cross? You've got to be kidding me. I'll sit down in an easy chair. I'll, I'll take the easy route, but take the hard route on purpose? No way. I'm an American. We don't ever do the hard things. We do the easy things. Follow Jesus? I'd rather have him follow me. I like my path through life a lot better than I like the one he has laid out for me. So if my salvation depends on my holy living, my sanctification like Peter, I'm doomed. I am going to hell. And that is where this modern development of how to DIY Christianity, which is all about the rules you should follow in your life, all about how you can get yourself closer to God, all about how you can make yourself more pleasing to God, where it utterly fails and where it becomes utterly satanic and hellish. It can only ever lead to hell if the core of Christianity is what we do. The reality is, according to the law that shows me I'm not perfect and can never be perfect, that I do not need someone to instruct me or guide me in how to creating a better version of myself. I need God who came down from heaven to become just like me, except without any of my sinful inclinations, my sinful nature. I don't just need advice on how to live for God. I need someone who actually did it. From the moment he was conceived to the moment he took his last breath, who actually did live for God, actually did his will. I don't need more instructions. I don't need more rules. I don't need more advice. I need a Savior. And when you've been brought to that realization that Christianity is not about rules, it's not about what you do, but about something else, then you are beginning to understand the mind of God. And you're beginning to get your mind off of the things of men. Don't you remember all the way back in the Garden of Eden, what was on God's mind then? It wasn't giving us rules and instructions for how we can make ourselves right with him. His mind already in Genesis 3.15 was how he was going to send one who would do it for us. Jesus is the heart and soul of Christianity. When your friends ask you what following Jesus is like, you show them Jesus. It's what he did. Because he did what we could never do, what I don't ever want to do, what I could never contemplate doing. Deny himself? Yeah, Jesus did that. He was the Son of God with access to all of the riches and glory of heaven 
And he said, no, I'll, I'll, I'll pass on that. He humbled himself to be born of a virgin on this earth among stinking sinners like us. He denied himself. Taking up his cross? Well, he obeyed his father every day of his life, even when it hurt. And then after he was done with that, he took up the cross of our sin and our guilt and our shame, and he took it all the way to Calvary where evil men nailed him to it. He followed God's will all the way through excruciating mental, physical, spiritual agony, not only on a cross, but in hell itself. And then three days later, he rose again from the dead to prove that he had accomplished what he had come to do, that he had truly denied himself, taken up his cross, and followed his Father's will because we haven't. That thing, that job, that mission, what Jesus, who Jesus is and what he came to do, that's what was on God's mind from the very beginning, and that's what he wants us to have our minds on even now. That is what it means to have your mind on the things of God. It's to have your mind on Jesus. I know that's probably the first time you've ever heard this text preached this way, and I know preaching it this way does open me up to an accusation that I am antinomian, that is against the law, that just that because Jesus has died for your sins, now it doesn't matter how you live. You can live however you want. You don't have to deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow Jesus. It doesn't matter anymore. That's not what I'm suggesting. I'm not suggesting that sanctification isn't important, that we don't want to live holy lives according to God's will, that, that we shouldn't deny ourselves and take up our crosses and follow Jesus. We should do that. Those things are extremely important. But they are the things of men. They are the things that we are to do. And for that reason, they will never be perfect. The things of men must always, always come after the things of God, even as they did here, right? What did Jesus say came first? His cross. And only as a result of his cross do we bear, can we bear our own crosses. The things of men must always come after the things of God. No, that doesn't come naturally to us. That's why, if you're anything like me, when I was still listening to sermons, not preaching them, I always was more struck and, and, and had more memories about the sermons that were about me. And, and what I can do and what I have to do rather than the sermons that were all about Jesus and what he has done for me. That's just how our human nature works. We are narcissistic to the core. We think it's all about us. But you just follow Peter down that path and you'll realize sooner than later that you can't do it. If your salvation depends on your, den- your self-denial, your cross-bearing, and your following of Jesus, you're just as damned, you're just as satanic as Peter was. So keep your mind on the things of God. Specifically the Son of God, Jesus Christ, the one who did His Father's will, the one whose cross has won your salvation. Keep your mind on the things of God. There's a difference between the things of men and the things of God. There's a difference between the the doctrine of sanctification and the doctrine of justification. They are linked, but you have to keep the right order. First comes the work of God, then comes our work. First comes justification, being made right with God through Jesus' blood and righteousness. Then comes our lives of sanctified living. We have to keep that order. I know we like to talk about ourselves and our works 
and how much we have done for God. But the law reveals that underneath, even though those things may look so shiny and so wonderful, underneath they're really rotten. All of our good works are tainted with sin. What we need is not something shiny and noble and gleaming. We need something gruesome and ugly and bloody because that's what we really are. We really need the cross of Christ because that's the only place that salvation can be found. So Jesus says at the end, whoever wants to to save their life must lose it. Whoever uh, loses their life for my sake will save it. So today, if you want to lose your life, lose it in Jesus. Lose it in his life, his suffering, and his death. That's what it means to follow Jesus. That's what it looks like. And then you will find life now and forever. Amen.